You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhesky schneider This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, August 1st, 2022. Later in the program, Indiana Republican senators passed a bill on Saturday that bans abortions in the state, with exceptions for rape, incest, or if the mother's life is in danger. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines. During public comment on July 26th at the Monroe County Community School Corporation board meeting, concerned mother, Tabitha Crouch, shared her concerns with safety for students in schools and asked the board to put the issue on their agenda. I pulled up because I'm curious as to how how this agenda is determined and how how we can go months about with public comment on a specific subject and we still don't address it. So according to your board of trustees protocols in the effective meeting section, um, items can be placed on the the agenda by the superintendent, the president, or through a request by any two board members. I'm asking you, put this back on the agenda. Let's talk about our student safety. We know that there are guns in our school. Let's figure out how to solve that problem. Crouch also said that her kids are scheduled to be on the bus for an hour and a half every morning. She asked the board to improve the amount of time kids are on the bus and revisit the school start times. Deputy Superintendent Dr. Markay Winston asked the board to approve the Bloomington Graduation School grade addition. We are making a recommendation to reconfigure Bloomington Graduation School to add 7th and 8th grade. This would allow us to be able to more completely meet the needs of our middle school students who are going to learn virtually this upcoming school year. We ask that you please accept this recommendation as presented. MCCSC Superintendent Jeff Hoswald explains why he believes the approval is necessary. This was just um, for some of our virtual learning capacity. Um, we already had teachers at BGS that were, were, were able to meet some subject-specific needs for a few, just a very small number of our middle school kids for next year. However, the DOE basically cited that we could not do that unless we officially allowed 7th and 8th graders to receive instruction from BGS. So it's, it's a really minor thing that we are required to record that sure. in the minutes in order to do that. And what that does <laughs> is if we have um, two students that need math at one of our middle schools and we have the ability to do that. That allows us to offload those two students to create an extra period so that our other class sizes aren't as big at one of those schools. So it's just a technical piece, um, but the DOE requires it in order to do that. The board approved the request unanimously. The next school board meeting will be held on August 23rd. Health Administrator Lori Kelly gave an update on COVID-19 at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on July 27th. 
so just a few updates. COVID cases have been fluctuating up and down for the past five days. The CDC community level is low. The health department and the public health clinic have free tests available. The public health clinic has vaccines for all ages. An important appointment can be made by calling 812-353-3244. Commissioner Penny Githens asked her if there was anything they might need to know about monkeypox, since she heard that the United States has the most cases out of any country in the world. Kelly responded saying that the state is prepared for an outbreak. Yes, I can speak to that. So we are working closely with the state. Uh, This includes um, testing and vaccination. We do have procedures in place for those needs. My team is in place and we are ready to respond. Prosecutor and president of the Substance Use Disorder Awareness Commission, Erica Oliphant, gave the annual report on the commission's progress. Oliphant said that in 2021, they hosted two Lunch and Learn educational webinars. Um, First in August 2021, we brought Robert Suarez to give a presentation titled uh, Substance Use in America, Connecting the Dots. Uh, Mr. Suarez is the Director of Outreach and Community Advocacy at North Carolina Urban Survivors Union in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, so they, that organization works to build power among low-income people impacted by drug use. So this was an hour-long webinar-style presentation uh, focused on ending the stigma of substance use disorder. In December of 2021, we partnered with the Responding to the Addictions Crisis Grand Challenge and the IU Center for Rural Engagement to present a panel uh, called Substance Use Disorder in Rural Indiana. Uh, We did have a moderator, April Fuller, who is the Executive Director of Research Communications at IU and featured three panelists, uh, Cass Botts uh, from Healthy Hoosier Communities at IU Center for Rural Engagement, Freya Perry, Associate Vice Provost for Social Science Research at IU, and Andrea D. Genota, who's the director of IUPUI Echo Center and Center for Public Health Practice at IU Richard in Fairbanks School of Public Health at IUPUI. So this hour-long webinar-style presentation uh, provided a conversation about the impact of stigma, barriers to treatment, harm reduction strategies, and building resilience in our communities. Uh, So we are continuing that practice in 2022 of hosting Lunch and Learn opportunities. Oliphant also shared that they wrote a letter to the Bloomington Office of the Mayor regarding Seminaries Park communications. Uh, In December of 2020, we uh, sent a letter to the Mayor's Office in response to Mayor John Hamilton's official statement regarding the removal of people um, camping in Seminary Park. Essentially, we were taking issue with um, language that implied that syringes are dangerous to those who are using the park. And uh, we asked that the mayor's office more carefully word future communications to avoid contributing to stigmatization of people in our community. Oliphant said that they will host a lunch with Sam Quinones on August 30th at 1130 a.m. for anyone interested in learning more. Next, the commissioners approved a grant the health department received from the Indiana Department of Health. Health Administrator Lori Kelly said the grant is to help lower Indiana's elevated blood lead level threshold. Yes, so the Indiana Department of Health has awarded these funds to the health department. 
This is to help in lowering Indiana's elevated blood lead level threshold. This does include case management and environmental services. Githens commented that the grant will have long-term benefits. Uh, I've, I've been in touch with Ms. Kelly about some of this, that um, this will, it looks like it covers 24 different households, which uh, while they may identify one child as having elevated blood levels or lead levels, um, that this would benefit any other child in that, the home and also benefit any other future family that lives in, the, in that particular housing. So um, I think it's got more than just the immediate effect that would occur in the next two years, but I'm so I'm glad to see this. The commissioners approved the grant unanimously. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on August 3rd. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Louisiana's adult prisons have been called into two state-run youth jails, the Swanson Center for Youth in Monroe and Bridge City Center for Youth outside of New Orleans. Last Thursday, 20 youth detainees at Bridge City took over parts of the building while five youths escaped through a hole cut in a bathroom ceiling, one of many escapes, leading Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputies and SWAT members to attempt to restore order. Internal memos show that guards are now allowed to carry tasers and pepper spray and employ use of force techniques. The temporary approval of such tactics, which are generally off limits in youth facilities, is a sign of increasingly desperate conditions inside Louisiana's aging and understaffed juvenile jails. The decision to allow use of force inside the youth jails alarms some attorneys and advocates. Aaron Clark Rizzio, executive director of the Louisiana Center for Children's Rights, stated, These policies are a threat to increase use of force on children in facilities that are supposed to be helping children and rehabilitating children. If there's too much fear and violence within these facilities, they're not going to help that by introducing more fear and more violence. Governor John Bell Edwards, who ordered the Department of Corrections and Louisiana State Police to temporarily send guards to Bridge City and Swanson, said that reinforcements, including state police troopers and probation and parole officers, began securing the two facilities last Friday. Edwards stated, This immediate solution will be in place for as long as necessary as we work to put a long-term staffing plan in place to ensure the safety of the youth who have been entrusted to our care as well as the staff. We are in conversations about the longer-term solution and nothing is left off the table. On the levy in view of Bridge City last week, supporters rallied in solidarity, chanting, Bridge City youth have the right to rebel. State troopers go to hell. Washington, D.C. contains more law enforcement officers per capita than any other major American city. Agencies including the FBI, DHS, and ICE coordinate through a complex network of partnerships, initiatives, and technology to surveil the district. Last year, a transparency collective 
the Distributed Denial of Secrets, published 250 gigabytes of department emails and attachments, and this week, a group of immigrant-led civil rights organizations, the ICE Out of DC Coalition, published a report mapping out many of the region's law enforcement surveillance agencies and technologies. Taken together, the report and the leaked documents reveal the corrupt and invasive eye of DC police. The Joint Operations Command Center, JOCC, is a surveillance network that Washington, D.C. police use to watch everyone, residents, political protesters, and suspected gang members. Officers and analysts keep eyes on news, activist social media accounts, and closed-circuit television feeds, funneling intelligence to plainclothes officers on the ground. Designed as an emergency infrastructure upgrade for the war on terror, the network was launched on 9-11 and has only grown since then. The documents and report show that NPD's database of supposed gang members is riddled with errors and used to justify aggressive policing of black communities, that a robbery unit likely engaged in jump-out intimidation tactics and targeted schools and youth, and that a powerful tribunal overrides the department's attempts to fire bad cops. Dinesh McCoy, an attorney and the report's co-author, stated that many of these systems are constantly collecting information about DC residents and can provide precise details on their daily lives in real time. There's a real potential for this kind of surveillance to cause a chilling effect and a climate of fear around the right to protest in the city, especially for black and brown people that are targeted most often by police. Carlos Andino, a fellow at the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs explained, they're making tremendous leaps in order to justify the surveillance of black and brown residents. The more they get away from 9-11, the more they need to justify their constant surveillance. Indiana Republican senators passed a bill on Saturday that bans abortions in the state with exceptions for rape, incest, or if the mother's life is in danger. State lawmakers voted 26 to 20 in favor of Senate Bill 1 after nearly four hours of debate. The bill now moves to the House, where it awaits a final vote. Carrie Hyatt Bennett of the Indiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence said to state lawmakers that survivors of intimate partner violence need abortion access. She said denying them care is cruel and dangerous. Access to an abortion is a life-saving measure for survivors of intimate partner violence. Maternal and infant mortality are among the worst in this country already. This state wants to take that life-saving choice away from survivors. Removing the autonomy, the, uh, the agency, the freedom, that's an important word, and yes, the reproductive choice away from Hoosier survivors, only to be told that, hey, we're protecting life. We just don't give a damn about yours. In the state house, another person testified saying that she believes abortion is basic health care. I had an abortion in 2016, and it was nothing more than a basic health care decision. Had I not had the choice, I wouldn't be the mother of two beautiful babies now. Their existence is a direct result of me being able to choose when and if I wanted to be a mom. I had the opportunity to heal and grow from my childhood trauma so I could be emotionally available for my children. Without the right to choose, you are forcing people into caring more than a pregnancy to term. You are forcing them to stay in abusive relationships, to hand their babies over to strangers, and to take matters into their own hands. The consequences of this legislation will be deadly, and it will be on your hands. Reverend Gray Lassen of the Christ Church Cathedral spoke out against the bill at the State House last week. 
I'm asking you to give Hoosier women and pregnant people the dignity and respect to make these difficult decisions with their doctors, their families, and their communities of faith. You may be surprised to hear a Christian clergy person asking you to take no further action on this bill, but I want you to know that there are many faithful Christians and people of many different faiths in the Hoosier state who believe that equitable access to women's health care, including women's pre reproductive health care, is an integral part of a woman's struggle to assert her dignity and worth as a human being. One week ago, WFHB News went to Indianapolis to cover a protest against the Senate bill. Here's what some protesters had to say. I mean, as someone that has a uterus and has the ability to, like, make life, it's pretty terrifying because I want to become a doctor and, like, I don't want to have to do anything that would put that in jeopardy because I, I plan to wait a while if I ever plan to have kids and, like, this could affect my future very drastically. Um, I came today just because, you know, there's been a lot going on surrounding the Roe versus Wade being overturned and now with, you know, Indiana um, looking to make changes to the abortion laws here. And I just, you know, I'm not super hopeful that they're gonna, our legislators are going to change their mind on the, you know, legislation that they're proposing. But I want them to know that uh, Hoosiers don't agree with, you know, having strict regulations and that kind of thing. So for me, I mean, I was, it was such a depressing day that day just because it had been, you know, settled into law and the fact that they, you know, totally overturned it and, you know, just taking that right away from women was, it felt so unfair. Anger, a lot of built up anger because I feel like once again, it's my body, so. Yeah. WFHB Assistant Program Director Christine Brackenoff interviewed Dr. Allison Case, a family medicine provider based in Indiana. Dr. Case is also an abortion provider and leads the Indiana chapter of Reproductive Health Access Project. She explained how her experience as a healthcare provider has changed since Roe v. Wade was overturned. I've had patients who are scared. They are scared even coming in to see me for their well woman visits or their well adult visits. They're there to ask about birth control. And I've had people verbalize to me that they don't want to be on birth control because they've had bad experiences with hormonal birth control in the past, but they're so afraid that they're not going to be able to access any abortion services that they're looking for help finding out what they should get back on to help prevent pregnancy. I've had people verbalize to me, patients verbalize about how worried they are about what's going to happen to people who have ectopic pregnancies or people who have other problems in pregnancy that, you know, make it deadly to continue to carry the pregnancy to term. So that's been heavy and really hard as a provider to try to figure out what are we going to do for people? I mean, I think the bottom line is people are going to die. Like there's going to be delays in care. There's going to be people who don't get the care they need. And it's really, really hard, you know, as a human to deal with that, but, it, you know, trying to offer people help, I don't have a lot to tell them, you know, we're pretty sure there's going to be a complete abortion ban here soon. And it's, people just aren't going to have access to services. I would say that the other thing that I have experienced, I provide telemedicine abortion in New Mexico using a New Mexico license, which I have a physician's license in New Mexico. 
And we have already been seeing mostly patients coming over from Texas, even before the decision came down because of how restrictive the Texas law has been. Those numbers are going up and I expect that telehealth services in general are going to be more and more important for safe haven states in order to keep the pressure off of in-person clinics who are gonna need to take on more appointments for procedural abortions coming from many surrounding states. So I have already taken on more time as a telehealth provider because they're seeing those, we're seeing so many more of those appointments and I expect that that's going to continue. So I think we're, you know, we're going to see more use of telehealth to help people get the services they need. Brackenoff spoke with Jess Marchbank, the state programs manager for All Options Pregnancy Resource Center here in Bloomington. Marchbank described how things are going at all options since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Since the first starting with the Supreme Court leak that happened, we have been inundated with new interest and uh, new scrutiny in some cases and, and also just renewed awareness of the fact that abortion funds exist. So the abortion fund line In a busy week six months ago, we may have only received 30 phone calls. That felt like a busy week, 30 30 calls. And we may have funded 10 of the people who called us in a week. But since May, and then increasingly since June and July, we've been seeing well over 80 calls a week. And it's not because people are suddenly having more abortions. It's because, first of all, there's a sense of urgency and a sense of fear, and more people know that they can come to us for funding and information. So we've been very, we've been very busy. And like a lot of the everyday Hoosiers that I talk to, scared, angry, anxious, we, we know that in Indiana, We already have some of the worst national rankings on maternal health, on child poverty, access to health care, affordable child care, paid leave, all of these things. The state of Indiana is already not supporting families. And what they're proposing, they, they say that they're proposing increased family support, but even what they're proposing isn't enough right now. It wouldn't have been enough five years ago, and it certainly will not be enough if if they decide to completely restrict abortion access in Indiana. So we have been very busy working with our partners in the reproductive justice movement. There are, you know, there's a national network of abortion funds and practical support networks, and we work hand in hand with them to ensure that people can still access care. And um, so we've been working a lot behind the scenes. We aren't often at rallies or protests because we're a small organization and we're focusing most of our efforts on the day-to-day direct service and care that people need. So for instance, just this week, we had, I think we had 45 families come here for diapers on Monday. And so all day long Monday, I'm running in and out the door. We do contact-free diaper support. And um, between running diapers out the door to people, I was then returning phone calls and text messages to people also seeking abortion care. So it's, that is what we're doing all day long is we're helping people access abortion care or information and also access the important resources that they need 
to raise the babies that they have. Marchbank said there are volunteer opportunities currently available at all options. She walked through volunteer positions and how to follow up. As I'm sure people can imagine, we have been receiving a pretty big influx of folks who want to get involved in some way. And um, as we are a really small organization, we definitely want to work with volunteers and and there's so many ways in which people can get involved. People can, well, they could come help here at the Pregnancy Resource Center and help hand out diapers on Mondays or deliver diapers to folks who can't get here in person. We have folks who want to, um, in the future, drive people to and from their abortion appointments or help in other ways that are of practical support. We will have opportunities for people to do things like making care packages for post-abortion or post-pregnancy loss care and a myriad of other ways from um, just writing letters or contacting legislators or taking public actions. So they can learn all of that. Either they can go to our website, certainly uh, www.all-options.org or through our social media we are we have both our national all options and our all options indiana or all options pregnancy resource center that are all part of the same the best way to get information about the hoosier abortion fund is really on our website the local pregnancy center website is alloptionsprc.org And if they need to contact the abortion fund, either for information or support, they can call or text at 812-727-4423. At the State House, Senate Bill 1 received its first reading and was referred to the House Committee on Courts and Criminal Code on Monday, August 1st. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Kite Line is produced by Mia Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. 
Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 